Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Teacher Renewed Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Palmas. I am a wife, mom, author, and lifelong educator who has been doing some hard work for two decades. This podcast is about renewing hope, happiness, and belief in education. We get real and talk candidly about ways educators across the globe are working to uproot the education system and making transformational changes for all educators and students. And beyond the why and the what these transformational education leaders are doing, we get into the how you as an educator can drive toward these changes. I am here to take away the pain, exhaustion that too many of us feel day in and day out and rid ourselves of the question if we made the right career choice. Trust me, you did. So let's dig in and ignite the joy, passion, and belief all educators had when deciding to enter a career in education. And let's make some change. So much is possible in education. to the Teacher Renewed podcast. I feel like I say this in every episode, but I have a really special guest today. And I have to share a quick story. In After my second year of teaching, I started to contemplate, what was I going to do? Do I want to go to another school? Do I want to teach in another city? Do I want to stay at my school? And enter Beth Mapleton, who is our lovely guest. And I reached out or somebody put us in contact and I applied to be at the school and fell in love with the school and actually found an apartment thanks to Beth that we were going to be neighbors. And at the end of the day, Aaron won. I followed him to Charlotte. I didn't come teach at the school (laughs) that Beth was working at, sadly. Sorry, I chose my husband over you, Beth, but you too. And of course, the school were in very, very close competition to one another because I really thought that you and I were going to be neighbors in those little apartments with the green and white awnings. And that did not happen. But just about 20 years later, here we are. You should right? see the face Beth is making. Yeah. So yeah, what were you going to say? No, I, I I had forgotten all about that. But I think that, you know, time has given us, that was a good choice. You have two beautiful children and you've been married <laughs> for a million years and a great husband. You know, I love Aaron. I love you. So, you know, it was a short-term loss, but long-term, you know, I think it was the right move. So it would have been um, really fun. Yeah. No, I do not sit in the coulda, shoulda, wouldas because honestly, the fact that I, I do have the two beautiful children, great husband, and I still have you in my life. And it's true. It's true. <laughs> be that virtual or not. And one of these days when we head out your way, we probably should connect in the totally. three dimension. But with all of that said, Beth, just so excited to have you a part of our community today. And be able to share with this educator community the amazing work you've been doing. I've been watching you from afar for a decade now, if not a little bit more. And, you know, we've had friends come and go from our lives that are mutual and all the while still just being so vigilant in in education, knowing that there's so much possible and you are showing what is possible time and time again from the founding of a school to leading leaders. So yeah, let's dig in. Would love to just kick it over to you and and give you space to share what has been your journey, what led you to education and what are you doing now? Yeah. Wow. Well, it's 
so good to be here and so special to be here with you from many, I mean, it has been decades, which is a long time to measure <laughs> plurals of friendship, but it, and somehow speaking of journeys, you're like, how did my journey start over 25 years ago? I don't feel this is how long I've been working, but somehow it did. And so I think that, you know, the high level is that I joined Teach for America and taught in New York City for two years. And then I was really interested in what were the right ingredients, for lack of a better term, to become a teacher. So I worked on the admissions team for a year at their national office. And I always feel that's what really dates me because I helped admit the core of 2003, which was a paper-based application at the time. We had just gone partially online, which was crazy and wild. But then <laughs> I, I missed teaching. I missed the impact. And I realized that I really wanted to be in a place where I was going to learn a lot. And kind of through happenstance, I happened upon the school in the peanut field that we were a near miss at and taught there for four years, the same group of kids and fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, which was a truly extraordinary experience. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, missed, it was in rural North Carolina and I was in my late twenties and wanted to kind of live in a city. That's more of my natural place where I belong. And so I moved back to Chicago and interestingly, I worked at a school that on paper had the exact same mission, but in practice was wildly different. And it was a very unhappy and terrible experience for me. Mm -hmm. And that's when I decided that, you know, if I wanted to be in education, I saw such a gap from my, at the time, you know, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years in education in how leaders led and managed. And I was, if I want to stay in this for the long haul, I need to learn about how to manage people because I'm just seeing schools that really had all the right components in place, but people, the leaders struggle with managing and leading adults and the school, I'm not going to say collapsed, but really struggled unnecessarily. So I went to Teach for America, led the Los Angeles Institute for a few years, which was great experience in managing a team and leading through layers and hiring. And it was really great. And then it was time to return to Chicago and start a school because I realized that I wanted to start a school that I felt like I could teach at forever. And since I couldn't find that school, I thought I would start that school, mm-hmm. um, which <laughs> in retrospect, that, that's really a big order. Perhaps I should have looked a little harder, <laughs> but, but it was great because we opened Chicago Collegiate in 2020, sorry, in 2013 with fourth and fifth graders. And those students are now freshmen and sophomore in college. So it was kind of modeled after the school we worked on. And so I led that school as principal and executive director for 10 years. And then in 2021, when our first group graduated about 25 seniors with about 325 acceptances to college. We, it was time, it was the middle of the pandemic. I I knew it was time for them to have some new energy, some things had changed in my personal life. And so that's when I decided to go into leadership consulting and helping other leaders navigate the challenges of leadership. Because I think I had been in that seat as a leader myself. And when I brought people in, sometimes it really helped move us forward. I had struggled with the time of getting it. I had been at schools where it was working or not. And so this felt, okay, this is where I can really make a difference. And for me, I just needed the flexibility of working for myself at that particular time of my life. So yeah. And here you are. (laughs) (laughs) All the while though, just still very anchored and passionate about education. And, And in those experiences, can you maybe illuminate for us something that really has driven you or anchored you in why you've stayed? Yeah, absolutely. So I can think back to a time, it was my first year teaching and I am the oldest of eight kids, which I don't know if you know that about me now. And the kid, my littlest sister is now 30. So, you know, but, but at the time I was a first year teacher, she was in fourth grade. 
And I taught fifth grade and I came home, you know, it was Thanksgiving time. And I was looking and I was like, Hey, what are you doing in math? Right. Cause I had, I had gone to the teacher in my building who was the toughest teacher. And I was high expectations and let me get the toughest math teacher's curriculum and take it and really try and figure this out over Thanksgiving break. So let me, in the meantime, ask my sister who is at a parochial school in suburban Chicago, what she's doing. And the gap in the expectations was tremendous. I mean, it was illuminating my sisters. Oh my gosh, it's so fun. We do mental math with seven steps on Fridays for fun. And I was, wow, this is doing multi-digit subtraction and Halloween ghost worksheet. What on earth is happening here? And it was this moment where just the trajectory of the students was so clear, right? You didn't need statistics and data and all of that that would bear out that, you know, this kid in the suburbs who had the access and had the resources from family would go on to go to college. And sure enough, my sister went to Yale. And then the kids who were Dominican immigrants that I taught in Washington Heights in New York City would really struggle because, it, you know, but the time, you know, they, they all had about whatever, 10 more years until they started applying to schools and how are they going to catch up this trajectory when even at such a young age, it was lost. And so I think that that was extremely motivating for me kind of always. And, you know, through over time, different experiences replace that, but that idea of there is just such a huge gap in our country and what we expect of kids, particularly when their first language isn't English, our expectations sink, when the color of their skin is black or brown, our expectations sink. And, you know, time and time again, I taught in communities where, I was able to see, you know, so many of my former students are now lawyers, doctors, entrepreneurs, amazing. And so I saw what really was possible when they had a great teacher, when they had a school of great teachers. And I also stayed in the game long enough. I mean, as you have now too, to see all these graduates and you're like, this is amazing. And I remember when you were in seventh grade and you were a total pain in my butt and I was, gosh, you would be a great lawyer because you love to argue. And sure enough, Jocelyn is now a lawyer graduated <laughs> from Chapel Hill and is using that talent and skill. And it's all right because none of us stay who we are as seventh graders forever. Thank God. And how do we recognize each person's gift and skills and help them with that? So I think I've had just so many examples of what's possible that whenever I come up against the stark realities of what exists, it's like we can do so much more to help deliver on our promises to kids as a country, right? And the idea of the American dream. Mm. Let's talk about that from the frame of your school. And then let's talk about that from the frame of your consulting. So mm -hmm. at the school level, how are you changing the trajectories and the life trajectories of students? What did yeah. you do at Chicago Collegiate? Yeah, I think, you know, and look, there's probably a lot where I had to go back today and design a school from scratch, I would do a lot differently than I did in 2011 and 2012. When we know better, we do better. But I do think that some of the things that were really helpful were, you know, we had a strong suite of assessments to both figure out where kids were on an absolute scale, as well as where they were on a developmental scale and work to kind of bridge those gaps. So I think that we always had kind of a dual focus. We used to talk about it with our teachers. It was having bifocals. I don't exactly know the mechanics of bifocals. But my sense is each lens does something a little different. And it was sometimes we look at through the lens of attainment and sometimes we look at through the lens of growth, but it's important for the well-being and health and growth of our students that we're always thinking about both elements as we work to help them realize their full potential. So I think that having those assessments in place and then some of the, you know, we did day-to-days, we did heavy teacher development at the beginning of the year. We always had, and now as a parent, it's funny, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we did this to our parents, but you know, we would have like a people's day. And so the teachers took a full three-day weekend that on Tuesday, we would make it a professional development day so that the work that we all know that happens in teaching at some point over your breaks or your time would always happen that 
extra day after. Now, as a parent of three school-age children, I'm like, oh, wow, our parents were really flexing. But I think they saw it show up in the quality of education that kids got. So a lot of stuff that I think is, you know, a lot of schools are doing just, you know, strong social emotional curriculum. I was really, we did a big shift probably in 2015, 2016 to becoming more trauma-informed. That was really, really helpful in general, and then enter the pandemic. And it became so the the fact that our team and our community had this kind of common vocabulary, common understanding of trauma, ability to think about where zones of regulation play in your ability to learn was really important. And so I think that also helped that orientation kind of helped us build as well. So, you know, and and it's honestly just a lot of hard work, you know, I mean, you just kind of get up every day, right? Fall down. What's the, there's a Japanese proverb, fall down, fall down seven times, get up eight. And so that was kind of what it is. It's we tried this, did that work? It didn't work. Okay, let's try again. Let's try again until we find what works. And so I think there is a lot about the promises that we make and really feeling it's just so important to deliver on them. So that's been really, it was really helpful. It was a really powerful experience. It sounds amazing. And I cannot believe that I haven't been to Chicago Collegiate. So maybe another thing that needs to happen when you (laughs) are there three to four times a year. Well, you're often there during school break. So to be fair, they're not there either, right? It's it's a a rub. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No. And then I think to answer the second part, I think in my consulting business, then like, you know, one of the things, so here I am and, you know, I had a bunch of personal stuff happen in my life. I got divorced in 2018. I had three small children and I could kind of see the writing on the wall that while I am very much someone who likes to start things and I love starting my school and growing every year, I unfortunately in some ways tend to lose a little bit more interest when it's about sustaining. I innovating, I trying, I highlighting. This has been true of me for, you know, my entire career. And so here I am, I'm okay, this is going to start to be great. And I was like, maybe I'll, I'll get this. I have to stay through this first class. I have made these promises, but I could see a world where I needed more, I needed to be more flexible with my home life because I didn't have a partner at home anymore. So it was kind of how, what am I going to do? And how am I going to do this? Once I get this first group graduated, maybe the second group, maybe I'll stay for the third, but at some point I'm going to need to transition to a role that's a little bit more flexible because I'm the single parent of three young kids. And then the pandemic hit and it became clear that I, it wasn't going to last the three weeks we thought it was going to last, right? We weren't going to go back to school after spring break and coming out of this was going to be a long haul proposition over many years. And it, it, there, I had a successor who was really ready to go. She's mm. amazing. And I was, she's going to bring the energy to this that I just quite simply don't have at this moment. And so I kind of took that range of time. I was thinking about transitioning and said, I'm going to transition at the early part. So I mm. transitioned in 2021 and I was sitting around thinking, well, what am I going to do and where can I make this impact? Because one thing that working in a school, you know, you never doubt that what you're doing every day is important. It it can be hard. It can be challenging. It can be frustrating. You can watch something happen in the news cycle and think, how on earth am I going to talk about this to my middle schoolers tomorrow when I have not even begun to unpack it for myself? But you are never, do I matter in the world, (laughs) right? You know, people depend on you to show up. And I realized that as a leader, I had become very passionate about helping leaders. I had a really robust internal leadership development pipeline at my school. We really kind of home grew a lot of our leadership. And I realized that I really love that part of my job. I think it's really important. I think it's really important for the sector. And I know a lot of leaders who think, how long can I keep doing this? And my role is to help them make that answer a whole lot longer, right? What can we do? What's the problem? Why are you feeling that way? And how can we help Um, bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. And sometimes people just need an extra set of hands, 
an outside perspective, someone affirming them, someone pushing them. And so I had seen that in my own, there were maybe three or four consultants at various points who really kind of helped me when I was stuck at some level and helped me push through to kind of take my school to the next level. And so that's where it felt this could be a place where I could be useful to think about. And I, I consider myself a proud generalist because I'm academically fluent and versed in, you know, data-driven instruction and curriculum and instruction and teacher champion and all the techniques in PD. I also get student culture and staff culture and how important that is to an environment that thrives. I know enough about operations to understand how it underpins those two. And as leaders, we don't sometimes have the luxury to be like, I just want to focus on X. It's, well, I think we actually really need a new curriculum, but I've got a few teachers who would absolutely throw a hissy fit if we changed our curriculum. So while I know this is the direction we have to go in, how do I navigate my current reality while also making sure my teachers feel heard and their voices understood? So I felt, look, I've been through this. I've done this so many times, whether it's that quandary or another one, let me help other leaders who are in that place now where the, I know where I need to go, but how do I get there? Because it can be such an isolating job. There are a couple of different things that I want to kind of parse out of that. And I'm trying to figure out where do I want to go first? So knowing that many of my listeners are teachers who are thinking about, yes, I want to stay in the classroom because then I want to go to the leadership route. Mm-hmm. I want to stay in the classroom, but I also want to see this trajectory and pipeline for myself. So when I'm ready, I have it. You spoke mm-hmm. about really building a succession of leadership and you, you know, and it sounds like it was a very intentional sort of programming, if you will. I'm putting that in quotes because yeah. I don't know, but I know a lot of schools, including myself as a person who is overseeing this kind of pipeline of, of leadership. What did you do? I'd yeah. love to just hear more about that. Totally. And, and the other thing I would say too, is that I think that it's helpful to have a robust development pipeline kind of at all levels and for all reasons. So I think that some people certainly might think, maybe I want to go into leadership one day. And so this is a path. I think other people think, hey, I love being in the classroom and I just want to grow my skills and kind of keep learning and keep growing. And so, and truthfully, I think that I really, you know, I, I, in many ways, I wish I was still in the classroom, right? I loved it. I love being a teacher. I love having that sense. And so, you know, and there's, so, you know, that sense of, of influence and impact. And so it was really great. And I think that sometimes schools approach this in a way where it's, well, this is going to be so you can go into admin and it's, or just so that you're interested and engaged and contributing. And PS, you're also a really experienced teacher who has a lot of perspective in our school and plays this valuable role. So how can we use this to amplify your voice in decision-making in the direction of our school, no matter, you know, what you want to kind of do moving forward. So I think it was really intentional. I think in the beginning years, a lot of it happened, you know, it was a startup. And so I think just any other startup in the world, there's a lot of, you know, group decision-making and kind of, you have input into stuff. And there's three people who, you know, there weren't that many people who worked there. I had an office in the bullpen with everyone else. So people would be like, oh, you're doing the, you know, you're making, you're, you're doing the, you know, job posting to recruit people. I think we should put, we want people with this, this, and this. I'd be like, oh, great idea. And just put it in my document. So a lot of that happened really organically. And we had a lot, I mean, I think the most experienced teacher we had when we opened was maybe two years experience. It was a pretty young staff. So I did some really robust PD, really was working to grow some teacher leaders. And then a few years later, when it was maybe not as startup-y, and some of those teachers were starting to feel, well, I used to be able to have more of a voice or more influence. And we were also seeing our need to grow to a high school and kind of cultivate a pipeline. And how could we have some of our teachers maybe stay with our students for 
the sake of continuity. It really was honestly just sitting down and, you know, what I, what I do with leaders now is what's your vision? What purpose does this serve? It might have a couple purposes and that's fine, right? A lot of people recently have been doing work to make sure that the, their leadership of their school reflects their student body population and they're having more diversity in leadership, which I feel extremely passionately about. And so I think that is a great goal. It might be to engage people. It might be to get more input. It might be to help distribute the responsibilities of leading a school. It might be, you know, to have buy-in. I mean, you name it. So we kind of go through and say, what's your purpose? And then we really hone in on that and then kind of say, well, given that purpose, what's the vision? And then really it's, it's a unit plan, right? It's great. So here we, here we have the purpose. We have the vision. And now what's our parameters? What kind of time frame are we talking? Who are we targeting? You know, we try and be really mindful of what do the extras need to be because people can get, and we're going to meet one Saturday a month. And that sounds a lot to ask people. And <laughs> this is their job. And most people do their job when they're at work. So, how can we integrate this into working hours? Whether that is, and people approach it differently. Some people say, let's, we do need time. So, let's stipend people to participate for a week in August before school starts, or let's meet monthly after school, or let's make sure there's a common planning period with people in this group where we could steer them. So, I mean, we really worked with, I work with clients now based on what I did at Collegiate to kind of say, given purpose and vision, and then kind of resources, parameters, et cetera, how do we create a program that works for you? And that also is sustainable because I am not, my most frequent engagement is not, I call it coach salting. It's kind of part consulting where I do the plan and the synthesis and the focus groups and all that stuff. And then it's part coaching where it's now let's work to put this into place. So it doesn't just gather dust on your hard drive or whatever. And you have this great plan for internal teacher development. What's stopping you from launching it, right? Why haven't you done this? Oh, well, I think that this teacher is going to pitch a fit. And I, we already discussed why she wouldn't be a good fit for this. Okay, great. Let's role play that conversation. <laughs> let's talk through the bullet points. What's the worst? Let's confront our fears. I feel like I do a lot of work therapy where I'm, what's the worst thing that can happen? And you just have to kind of sit with that and be like, okay, this would be the worst thing. And okay, but here's, but should you still do it in light of that? And how do you kind of work through there? So I think there's just a lot to be said, but really it's what's your purpose for doing this? And I think it can, it can hit a few of those categories, but it really is something. That, and actually I often will start working with leaders you know, the other challenge in education is sometimes it's, you know, June, you know, I want to have this in place for next year. And it's really hard to get that together. So I really start working with people more in the middle of one academic year to prepare for the next year, because then you can start to do some focus groups. You can start to do some interviews. You can run test programs. You can introduce it in a staff meeting and see what people think. You can gauge interest. And then you're really ready to roll it out. You know, often the summer is a good time to start it because, People are more rested. It's easier to siphon them. You can kind of start the year with a clear sense of roles and responsibilities and what is different. You don't want this to be a program that's just window dressing. You want there to be some real meaty development and real opportunities for leadership and not just be, oh, well, now you have this fancy thing. It's well, but is it, is it, is it really helping me grow? Do I feel it's a valuable use of my time? Yeah, there's so much there. I think what I'm really taking away though, is that as we're thinking about the development of teachers as teachers, as teachers, as leaders, it really is. I mean, to your point, you know, in the, the good old days of Teacher America was, what is your vision? Mm -hmm. What is your goal? What do you want to achieve? And if it's driven, anything that you're strategizing around is driving toward that, then it's a beautiful thing. And that's kind of what I'm synthesizing from you, which is just to your point, it is actually really simple. And yet, because it's human, it's very yeah. common. Complex. And you're, you know, you were talking about the, the mental therapy there. And I think as we are thinking about how fragile 
Mm-hmm. the system is right now. And by system, I do mean the people within the system, actually. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How are you as a leader of leaders helping to navigate that? Or what advice do you have for leaders who are really having to think about and cost and weigh or the way the cost of the fragility of people given just what is real in education right now? Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I see this everywhere from my clients to my own children's school. And, you know, I think that, and I'm always, you know, I say, I only have two years of leadership in a pandemic and I, you know, I don't Mm -hmm. know, are we in the pandemic? Are we out of pandemic? I don't know, but we certainly are going to be dealing with the ripple effects of this on kids academically, emotionally. I mean, who knows for how long, right? And so nobody knows. So, and the system has, has been put through all kinds of stretches. I think what I often, you know, and this is where, you know, one of the interesting things, like, about your reflection is it is, it is simple, right? In a lot of ways, it's vision, purpose, et cetera. And I think leaders tend to think, well, I could do this. And so I'm going to put on my list and I'll get to it. And it's the reality is just because you could do it doesn't mean you should do it. Right. So I think that, you know, in this, I think, you know, every educator has gone through some element of this, that, you know, I can be the one who cuts all the book links up. And so I'm going to, when, you know, at some point in your teaching journey, you're like, I can have a student do this. Actually, I can pay FedEx to cut them. Actually, I can do this. Just because I can doesn't mean I should. And so I think it's the same thing with leaders is, well, I could do this. And so how could I justify bringing someone in when this is something I could do? When in reality, that's one of the things that leaders do, right? Is arrange resources to help achieve goals. And sometimes the resources, I'm going to pay someone as a coach or a consultant to come in and help me think through this and have this time blocked on my calendar. And it's an investment. And then they will, because I do the coach salting, I'll take all the to-dos and next steps and put the survey out for the staff or send the this or do the whatever to help synthesize and move this project along. Because even though you could, you also have 10 million other things that you're balancing and you don't have to be the person who does this. You have to participate. It's your vision, but somebody can take those words. Just, you know, celebrities have ghostwriters for their memoirs. They don't actually sit down and write the book necessarily. They hire someone to take their stuff and make it their own. And it's the same thing as well. And so I think that, you know, I do think that what I, what I see helping leaders now at this point in terms of fragility is two things. One, I think that the value of an outside perspective is really valuable. Now, clearly I am an outside perspective, so I have a bias towards that, but I met a CEO of a small charter network in Brooklyn who said to me this summer, I think every principal needs a coach from outside the system who's not in their building, who does not nothing to do with their paycheck, their performance review. They just need a place to talk and think because it's such a hard job. And, and, you know, there are, industries in America where that is the norm for any new director or vice president or managing director. And so how do we not do this for principals? And so I think that what I take from that and what I see with my clients is that it is, you know, it's a Vegas zone in our Zoom meetings. What happens there stays there, right? There's no telling back or reporting back. And sometimes it's really just the luxury of time to think and process and you know, and, and gut check. I think I could do this or this, but what do you think? And how do you know? And, you know, kind of just try and be real. Because the other thing that I see is I would say that, and this is this is a generalization, but I, I've seen it enough places where people are, I, I don't think it's ever been easy to hold people accountable, right? And I think in education, we generally tend to be nice, kind people, and there's a lot of conflict involved in messiness. So I don't think it's ever been easy, but I think people are shying away from it more than ever. And that is coming back to bite them big time. So people are thinking, I don't know, it's so fragile. I can't ask more. I can't do more. And 
And the reality is, is that sometimes they are absolutely shooting themselves in the foot in other areas. So, you know, I see this play out a lot at my children's school where you see it and you're like, well, you're doing this and you're doing this because you don't want to make this group of people mad. So you're going to give people the extra time off. You're going to give them this piece. You're going to start vacation early. You're going to have it be a half day. And now you've got a group of parents who are really frustrated because they're paying tuition and their children seem not to be in school that often. And so then what's going to happen when those parents leave, right? And then you are having enrollment issues and you then can't pay people because you don't want to have the conversation to say to people, no, we're not a name for Christmas break two weeks before the holiday, right? And so it's this interesting thing. No one really knew how to interact in the pandemic. Everyone's trying to make space for all the differentness. And so what I think can be helpful is, look, I'm not saying go in guns blazing and be like, this is how it's going to be and do this and do that because people will leave because they know they can leave in a way that I don't think has ever been so true. But how are you thoughtful about what you really hold the line on and explaining your rationale and investing people in the why and not letting the loudest person be the one who has the most input? Because people can tell when you're leading out of fear and the results are never good. They're just not. And I'm not saying it's not valid to be fearful or you haven't been burned or you have all these vacancies, but how do you just create the space to also really understand when is it saying, oh, I'm afraid of this would happen. And I just need to know that that's going to have some other consequences or, you know what, I'm afraid this is going to happen, but I can go ahead and do this anyway, because it's totally within my rights to do this. So I see that that leader hesitation is one of the challenges that I think can bite people right now. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. And before we close up, two more questions. Just one though, you know, having the vast experience you have and you kind of shared a little bit of this, you mentioned in your questionnaire that you have seen the growth and development of students to now you're looking at them. They're lawyers. They are 30 years old. They are family members. They are parents. And what has, you you prompted us to with the biggest eye-opening experience when you came back for Christmas break that first year of teaching. What is one of your proudest moments that has really driven you to be, this is what's possible? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is a great question. I think that there have been a lot, which I'm really lucky for, kind of two are coming to mind. And interestingly, neither of them you know, often we we work on delayed gratification big time in education, which is not to say there's not great moments, right, in that place. But there is so, but when I think about the overarching, most career impactful moments, they have happened years later. And so I think that it part of being an educator is knowing that, you know, you're putting money in the bank now that will really reap later. And so I used to always say with all these teachers, you have got to stick in this game long enough until you have alumni come back from college and visit. Because when that happens, you start to see the trajectory and sometimes the day to day, oh my gosh, I'm so frustrated. Oh my gosh, this, they don't do this, they don't do that. Like you just start to take the long view a little bit more on this development as a person, which PS also now that I'm a parent, I was, oh, I didn't do that for long. (laughs) Like for too long, I let the day-to-day rule my issue as opposed to seeing as the overall trajectory of where a kid is headed and their social emotional development and where they're at. But, you know, I had dinner earlier this fall. I was visiting a client, a a small charter school in Durham, and two of our students from Chicago are, one is a first year at North Carolina Central and the other is a first year at North Carolina Mm A&T. And so I said, I'm going to take you out for a really nice dinner. And I did, you know, I I met them at this restaurant and we just had the best night and sitting there, you know, I met Antoine when he was in fourth grade or in third grade, he showed up for the lottery because he started in fourth grade with his mom. 
and thinking about where he came in and he was so shy and then he ended up becoming our student body president and just a huge presence at our school and seeing him go to school 800 miles away, embracing the HBCU experience, really just an amazing young man. And next to Amber, who transferred into the school in eighth grade into collegiate and really just made a huge impression, both first generation kids, I think. You know, there were just so much that went into starting a school that were, I mean, so many late nights, so many headaches, so much Chicago charter school politics, all these things that were, and it was, wow, look at this. I helped create a school with a group of people that made this possible. Mm. And that felt really, really impactful. And and I think I've seen from my students in North Carolina who are about 10 years old, actually, and this is a cool tie-in is Antoine is a student at North Carolina A&T. And he is buddies with one of my other students from North Carolina, who is a graduate of a who still lives in Greensboro, who's kind of acting as a mentor to him as he's, he just needs someplace to call. You know, if he has a problem, if I got him, don't worry. Does he need a job? What can we do? And so it's pretty cool to see that piece and seeing, you know, really just getting to the point where, I mean, I've had students live with us for the summer. I mean, I say students and they've been 28 year old grad students, right? They babysit my kids. We, you know, visit. I mean, they really, they come to Thanksgiving. I mean, it has been really neat to see that. And I think that that also gives me faith because I think that some ways I get a little bit more jaded every day I sit in education. I've got a little bit more crotchety and it's, look, we got this next generation and we're not going to have solved all the problems by the time I retire, but I did my part to make sure they were fired up. They were ready to roll. They're, you know, fighting the good fight against so many of the issues we've seen. So many of the injustices the last several years, that has been really, really great. So I think that always helps give my, me fuel for the fire to kind of keep it going. Yeah, my my heart is on fire in probably the most optimistic sort of way. I don't know if you noticed, I started tearing up because those are the stories that do drive us, right? Those are the stories that keep us in in education, being able to take the long view. And, and it's, it's hard. It's hard, mm-hmm. especially when we are living in this, this state of the unknown. Yeah. But we do know that there is going to be a tomorrow. And what we do within our schools, within our classrooms is so critical. I feel this is such a good segue then to asking what advice do you have for educators to help them have a renewed sense of hope or optimism for education? I would say that things are just never as dark as they seem in the moment. Things are never as dire as you think. There is always a way out. And I think that you know, I've been in some really dark places as a leader, as a teacher, you know, at various schools and, you know, there's always a way out. Now that way it might might be difficult. It might be messy, right? It's not necessarily paved with rose petals, but there's always a way out. And I think that sometimes I've seen so many people be, this is so frustrating. So I think I just need to leave the profession and it's, you know what, let's take a few deep breaths. Let's remember why you did this no situation is all good and all bad. The best situation is not all good. And the worst situation is not all bad. Let's understand the nuance. Let's learn from it. And let's use that to move forward. And and I think also remember the skills that got you this place. I mean, honestly, like one of my friends said to me a week ago, who's also a solo parent, and we talked together a million years ago in New York. And he said, you know, I feel having the kids for a weekend alone is use, it's lesson planning. You need a plan for them or they're going to have a plan for you. And I was oh my God, you're so right. We learned this 22 years ago and I'm, oh my God, on Sunday, my kids are driving me crazy because I did not have a plan for them, right? Mm-hmm. I know this. We know so much as educators about what it takes to get to be successful in you. So how can you tap into your current tools to help with that? How can you kind of rally your troops and resources? And I think it is also, it's a long game, right? I mean, this is really, this is not about 
um, the next assessment period. It's not about, did today feel good? This is about, I'm helping shape I mean, I would argue the most important job that we have in our country is to shape the next generation. What do they believe? What are they fired up about? What do they want to do? What kind of people are they? And I think that is what has been, you know, I was teaching in North Carolina 2003 to 2007. And so, you know, fast forward to the 2016 election and all the, you know, crazy stuff that that turned out and whatever. And it was amazing to be, oh yeah, and now we are making plans to go to protest together. And I could not have imagined in 2005, both the direction the country would take and also how necessary it would be to get out in the streets with my two-year-olds to be, we are not standing for this, but amazing to be. And here are some of the students who, because we, I could help ignite that spark in them in some small way, shape or form, we're able to literally be on the front lines of this today. So I think that it is, you just have to keep the long view, even when it's very hard to do so. And is there any advice you have to help people hone in or zoom in on that long view? Look, I have become a huge fan of meditation and even just the 10% happier, the inside app, even just five minutes quiet in your mind and regulating yourself, I think really helps that perspective. I think that when you're feeling your cup is really full and your bucket is full, how do you make a, a vision board or a wall in your office or a, the front of your folder that has all the reminders of why you think you know, this work is worth doing or the statistics that fire you up or the pictures of students or, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be that we're, you know, marching in protest. It can be this kid started the year, not really learning to liking to read. And now they love to read. <laughs> That's a huge moment in a kid's life. And even if you never are in touch with that kid ever again, you know, that this year was the year that they learned to love to read. And you played a really big role in that. I mean, you know, I think that that is how do you take and mark the successes as humans we are hardwired to see the mistakes, the challenges, and the deficits, right? It's how we have evolutionarily survived. So how do you help say, you know what? Those are all there and those are all real. And here are all the things that are working, right? You wouldn't be in education now if you haven't had some victories along the way, right? So how do you remind yourself of those? And, and how do you take time for yourself to, to fill up your tank, to do what recharges you? I remember my first year teaching, we always talk about, it's a pitcher of cider roll. So one night I was <laughs> not, <laughs> speaking of lesson planning, I was planning the night before for the next day because I had no idea what on earth I was doing. This is like a long time ago where I literally have a lesson plan book with paper. I was writing my plans out on. And one night a friend and I went out for dinner and we taught together at school. And usually we would do that. And then we go back and plan till 11 o'clock at night and then wake up the next day and be so frantic. But she brought another friend. We all really hit it off. And after dinner, it was, should we go out to get a drink? And it was, oh my God, get a drink on a school night. What are you talking about? That sounds so crazy. I'm, I don't have any plans for tomorrow. So I don't know what I'm going to do with these children who are trusted <laughs> to my care all day. I don't have the skills to wing it even a little bit, but why not? We're having a really good time. This is the most fun I've had in two months, right? Mm -hmm. So we go out, we end up getting a pitcher, right? And split the pitcher of cider and have this really good night. And I'm literally planning on the subway the next morning, which is not something I'm proud of, but it was how it was at that point in my journey. And you know what I realized is that I had a much better day as a teacher that day because I had refilled my tank. I had laughed. I had felt like human. I had enjoyed it. So even though my lesson plan wasn't quote unquote as strong, right? I came to my students with more to give and more humanity and more ease. And that allowed me to be a better teacher than the best lesson plan till two in the morning would have been. And so I think it was this rule where it's how are you feeding the parts of yourself that allow you to be more present and with other people and a little bit more relaxed because 
And, and I'm, look, I have put in the hours and the hours that you pulled in. I have slept at my school. I have done stuff like that. I'm not saying that's not the answer, but there is some balance. And what do I need right now? And how do I use that to bring forward? So. Oh my gosh. And I think it's so important, especially for the listeners who are teachers to hear that from somebody who has run a school, who has managed many adults and, you know, one night of friendship is not going to cost you the future of your students. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And I think sometimes, the other thing I sometimes see is that people are so maniacal about, I need to be balanced. So I need to be gone every day at four o'clock, no matter what. And, you know, I would talk with my teachers and say, look, like, the thing that's driving you crazy is your classroom library isn't organized. It's going to take four or five hours to organize your library. And if you keep leaving at four o'clock every day, this is never going to happen and you're never going to be finished. And so what if you pick a night and you're like, this is the night I'm going to do it or a Saturday or bring your friends in or bring whoever and order mm-hmm. pizza and just get it done. And you're actually creating more stress for yourself because you're like, I need to be balanced and leave as opposed to the thing that's driving me crazy. If I put a little bit more into it, will actually lead a path open for me. And so I think that it is, you know, and if you do, I used to do one late night a week when I opened my school and I would stay as long as I needed to. And sometimes it was very, very long. Thankful to my husband was really supportive, which was great. I would you know, miss bedtime and miss whatever, but it allowed me the other nights to be home for dinner, to go to a mm-hmm. workout class. And so in some ways it's also, how do we think about these things? Not just as today, every day is the day it's, I've got this time. How do I flex here? So I get more time for myself and I can flex here to get my work done. And I don't need to be kind of locked into these you know, routines that kind of make me feel I have no flexibility. So. Beth, I really appreciate you saying this. I don't know if you know or remember this, but you know, a lot of people do their work on Sundays. I could not have a routine on Sundays because of the Sunday scaries. I would work out on the Saturday morning or work because if you recall, I had two other jobs my first year of teaching. I don't know if you know that or remember that, but Saturday was my day. Saturday was my day. And that felt okay. And I know that a lot of people push back that it's a weekend. I wasn't a parent, mm-hmm. but Saturday was my day to plan and get through all those things that were causing me stress. So then the rest of the week yes. was just free. And obviously I did not have plannings for the first five years of my teaching existence because of the circumstances of my teaching placements. And so I couldn't guarantee those, those times. And so it was just Saturday and mm-hmm. On those days that, you know, students weren't sent back to class and I I could have a planning and putting that in quotes, I went out to lunch and Mm -hmm. grabbed lunch, you know, there were so many things, but I love that you're saying, what is the thing that is causing you stress that sometimes we just need to get in front of? Yes. Yes. Because sometimes, right. You could have been, no, Saturday's for me, Saturday's for me. And then, but every day it would have been like a train wreck coming at you and you can't do that. But so many times. So how do you say, no, this is how I'm going to take control of it. And this is how I'm going to chunk it. And to me, once you get in a flow, you're kind of in a flow. So Mm -hmm. I actually really love working late night for, I would just say as long as I needed to, I made sure I had dinner, I'd order it. Cause I'd be like, if I'm flowing or I'm cleaning my office or I'm working through my list, I want to keep going. I don't want to stop because I need to go home for my kids bedtime. Now I didn't want to miss bedtime every night, but one night a week. One night a week, by the way, this is also putting food on the table for you. So it's okay. You know, (laughs) but yeah, I didn't know that about your Saturdays, but I think that makes tons of sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And even now, you know, I encourage Aaron, go in on a Sunday if you need to, we've got this, but this 
my heart is so full right now. I adore you. And now I'm going to get emotional just because we have been through so much in our histories and the, 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 I'm, I'm thinking about Keith. So I'm just going to, of gonna, course, of course, keep the holy, holy, right. You got to keep the holy, holy, Keith Burnham was the ultimate. He yeah, taught me so much um, about leadership, so much about keeping a standard of excellence. I, I miss him every day, honest every to God, every day. day. And, and he was such a, a bridge for us, my Aaron and me to the world of, of GCP, which is the school that we've referenced multiple times. And so definitely attributing this, this episode to him and just grateful for your passion and urgency and fire that, that is still lit and that it, you are igniting across so many lives. So thank you. Oh, thanks. Well, I really love being here. I'm so glad that you had me and I'm always happy to talk to leaders and principals and teachers. And if folks want, they can go to my website, which is bathnavelton.com. I think if people go there, there's like videos, resources, checklists, blogs. I'm really kind of constantly working on building it because I think that, you know, our kids deserve great schools. They deserve great schools now. And you know, we don't have the luxury of, I think sometimes in education, there's groups, well, we got to figure X out first. We got to figure Y out. It's like, well, these kids are going to be through school. You know, they've got one shot at this. And so how do we help make the most of this experience, do the best we can, and really just kind of push ourselves to do better as a country. So I, you know, definitely I would encourage people to go there, sign up for my newsletter. I don't send it too often, but I try to really make it impactful and help meet folks where they're at, because I think that people, particularly those working in schools are just doing the most important work in our country. And so that's who I'm here to help. Thank you so much, Beth. It was such a pleasure, Kelly. Thank you. Beth, 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 thank you so, so much. Here are the takeaways from today's episode. So much is possible when you have a great teacher, and especially when you have a school of great teachers. We must invest in our teachers, especially the teachers who are wanting to stay in the classroom. Number two, never doubt what you are doing is important. Number three, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Is there someone more equipped to support an effort so that you can ensure you are constantly prioritizing your purpose and vision? Number four, in education, we work on delayed gratification. As educators, we are putting money in the bank now to reap the benefits later. We have to take the long view. Education is a long game. We are helping to shape the next generation. Number five, things are never as dark or dire as they feel, and there is always a way out. It might be messy, it might be dark, but there is always a solution. When we know better, we do better. Let these moments of challenge be lessons, and then know we can learn and do better. Number six, we are hardwired to acknowledge and focus on mistakes, deficits, and challenges. We have to rewire how we think and do things. Take up meditation, create a vision board, write down even the smallest successes you have had, have those statistics or pictures available to remind you why you do this. Ground yourself and know that you are making a difference. Number seven, our kids deserve great schools and they deserve them now. Number eight, fall down seven times and get up eight.